This is a HeadGum Podcast. While Andrew and Craig believe the joy of discovery is crucial to enjoying any well-told tale, they will not shy away from spoiling specific story beats when necessary. Plus, these are books you should have read by now. Hey, Greg, what's your favorite decade? Um, I guess the 1990s. <laughs> okay. What's, what's your favorite decade? Slash what decade did you want to talk about? Well, welcome to Overdue. It's a podcast about the books that you've been meaning to read. My name is Craig. My name is Andrew. And we'll talk about Eleanor and Park later in the episode. But first... I just remember everything being all right in the 90s. Yeah. Oh, it was a great time I mean, for and us part of that was a, was a function of being like nine years old. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And like Bill Clinton was playing saxophone on TV. Like it was a great time. Yeah. That's about great all times. I remember. Mm-hmm. I asked because one time in middle school, I don't know what this conversation was about. Someone basically asked that question. And I, I don't know why middle schoolers were thinking about this. And I answered the 80s. And mm-hmm. I think I only had one bullet point in my argument. And it was Metallica, which is a bullet point I would probably like to rescind. <laughs> yeah, I would support rescinding that particular bullet point. I didn't like... I think like, I, what, are, what do people who have not even lived a decade yet have... It was middle what, school, what? please. I was like 12. Okay, fine. You've you're just getting into your second decade and you feel like you're you're a good authority on which decade is best. I just thought it was cool. I wasn't even into like glam rock, which was like arguably more pervasive. Mm-hmm. There's that that's the kind of stuff that carried over into the early nineties and you don't really count the nineties as starting until Nirvana. I want to talk about the 80s because it's like a hot thing in pop culture right now. We've got The Americans. We've got Stranger Things on TV. Stranger Things is pretty good. Yeah, it's pretty if good. If you have a Netflix, you owe it to yourself to watch it. And, and I think it's because a lot of the, you know, at this point, the people who grew up in the 80s are now added in their like 40s and 50s and late 30s, I suppose. Well, I, f- I feel like the wave of 80s nostalgia maybe even crested a couple of years ago sure, for, sure. for most things, and then and we're, now we're well into 90s nostalgia. That's, yeah, I suppose that's true. Yeah, but I mean, it's it's a big, it's a big tent nostalgia-wise. <laughs> <laughs> and certainly, like, a lot of kids in the 90s grew up watching those 80s, like, kids save the world from a monster movies yeah, and yeah. whatever, and that, yeah. And I, I kind of just wanted to before to say where i stand with my knowledge of the 80s is it's way shallower than i think i think it is like by evidence evidenced by my earlier argument that it was the best decade because of metallica like i don't think i know as much about the 80s as i think well i mean like point of order first off just to just just to launch this discussion Uh the the 80s were the best clearly because of the a-team yeah except not the fifth season with the lame the lame new synthy theme song fair enough that's a good yeah they're a good standard bearer for the 80s also bosom buddies that's a good show okay cool sure probably some other shows did you almost say Three's Company? Yeah, that's and then I definitely took it back. the seventies. It may have run into the eighties, but it's definitely seventies. I thing. both took it back because I wasn't sure if it was eighties, and I wasn't sure how we felt about Three's Company. I just Company. heard like the hint of a th- <laughs> of a th- th- sound coming out of your mouth. Okay, you're gonna take a magnet to most of this intro, so let's actually mm-hmm. talk about Rainbow Rowell and her book Eleanor in Park. Yeah, come and knock on door. We'll be waiting for you. <laughs> uh, so this is yeah, so, a 2013 so book, yeah. right? Okay, go. What? No, just go. Okay. I feel like our normal rhythm has been disrupted. It's been disrupted for a while. Because we've done like three intros. Because yeah, when we were true. like talking to each other before the show starts, 
like when we feel like we're having a conversation that might make it into the show, we get up on the mics and start talking <laughs> louder. We're still doing it. I know. Uh, so you decided to read this book. What is it? Why? Um, it's Rainbow Rowell's uh, Eleanor and Park. It's a 2013 young adult novel. And it's not technically on our Patreon list, but our Patreon list is mostly long ones right now. And, and with the move and everything, I just I needed uh, need something that was a little lighter. And this had been um, one of my friends actually had recommended this for like a long time ago. And that the same friend had also recommended um, Tell the Wolves I'm Home. Oh, nice. OK. Which we read a million years ago. But yeah, to tell you how long this has been on my to be read list, like I got those recommendations at the same time. Oh, good. Yeah. This <laughs> book swept through my friend circle. I have a couple of good friends here in Philly who have a book club. Uh, and this like brought a bunch of people to tears and lots of feelings. I feel like a year or so ago. It's a feelings book. So, yeah. What is where did this book come from? What's Rainbow Rowell's deal? Uh, yeah. So she was born in uh, 1973, and she lives in Omaha, mm-hmm. um, which is where which is the book takes place near Omaha. Like they drive to Omaha in one sequence, but it's. It's more the actual action is taking place in like a more rural area. Um, but yeah, she was a uh, columnist and an ad copywriter at the Omaha World Herald from 1995 to 2012. Um, and then after that, and it's not I'm not sure whether she quit or was let go or what, like given that it's a newspaper in the year 2012, like it could have been either. <laughs> it, yeah. It might've been a combination of both. It, uh, the Omaha world Herald, as the internet tells me mm-hmm. once had the once. highest penetration rate in the United States, which meant that the percentage, I know gross, <laughs> the percentage <laughs> of people who subscribed to it in its home circulation area was like wicked high. Uh, wow. it was bought by, Warren Buffett and his minions uh, in 2011, and it still exists, but like it changed ownership. Okay, so um, she, she may have left in that, like as a indirect result of that. That the timing works out. So she we'll did assume, have the ti- timing works out, so we'll assume that's what happened. <laughs> she did have both Eleanor and Park and Fangirl come out in 2013, following her previous book Attachments, which was her debut. But yeah, so so she was a uh, after she left the Omaha World Herald, she was working at an ad agency, and um, that's when she started writing Attachments, which was her first published novel. Mm-hmm. But um, Fangirl actually was completed the year before in 2011 um, as a National Novel Writing Month challenge. I thought I hoped you were going to mention that. I think that's I was, really cool. I was going to mention that. I think it's cool, and I think it's evidence that books actually do come out of that whole thing every which, once in a while. I, which I know is a thing you're relatively skeptical of. But Well, it's just like every year I kind of am like, well, what would happen if I tried it? That's what everyone ev- asks. And then every year I'm like, oh, dang, it's November 22nd. <laughs> Maybe next year. Whoops. I grew this mustache instead of writing a novel. What Oops, happened? I, I slept on it and it's gone again. Oops, I celebrated November. That's that's what I did. It's a true multitasker can grow a mustache and write a book at the same time. But I don't know if that's me. <laughs> As if growing a mustache took effort. For me, it does. <laughs> My facial hair? Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, so yeah, Fangirl and Eleanor and Park were both published in 2013, and she got all kinds of acclaim pretty pretty quickly after that. Um, Goodreads and Amazon and the New York Times all get, put um, one or both of those books on their like top books of the year lists. Mm-hmm. Um, DreamWorks is apparently working on a film version of Eleanor and Park. Um. It's worth yeah. noting that the New York Times review, which is pretty glowing, uh, was written by John Green of Fault in Our Stars fame. Yeah, and I, I was going to bring him up. I didn't. I guess this is as good a time as any just to say that um, Eleanor and Park is, I think, in the same wheelhouse. Sure. As a lot of John Green stuff, but based on the Green I have read, I think that Rowell's version is better. I think Eleanor is less less like an unattainable manic pixie dream girl type and sure. more like a fully realized 
person. And I think, I mean, that may be the result of a woman writing the book. I don't know. Yeah. I, I think I want to just say this out loud and hopefully some of our listeners will remember As and hold to us. saying it quite like, well, not. I, I want to put it on the verbal record. <laughs> That's how you say things. Yeah. Like, <laughs> Sometimes I say things with blinking. Um, I think you should probably read at some point for the show, Andrew Wally Lamb's She's Come Undone. Okay. Um, I it's read about the Weezer song, of course. Yeah, yeah of course. Mm-hmm. Uh, I read that book over 10 years ago and was recommended to me by my sister as a really successful example of a male author writing a female protagonist. And I don't know is that like I have not gone back and read that in light of how we talk about um, feminism and and female authors today and sure. female characters. So I mm-hmm. think that's I just kind of want to say that out loud in case reader our listeners not readers our listeners have like opinions about that book and maybe your readers they're well they are readers that's true your uh, readers and maybe get that on your plate for a future episode because i think that would be it's not a it's not a ya book by any means but it does have like a similar vein for some stuff All yeah right, yeah anyway. i feel like as as close as a lot of male writers can get sometimes is like just don't think of them as a female character just like write write a person yeah write a person and go and, from there yeah. but there are like s- struggles and and like especially in this book there are like body image issues and like family issues that are pretty uniquely female yeah so yeah i I, just, I I feel like that added perspective is just it's really good for this type of book and for that reason it kind of resonated me resonated with me a little more than the john green stuff i've read okay where every woman has just been some transcendent magical whatever who changes one quiet young man's life forever or before before something miserable happens to one or both of them what okay interesting because i i've been watching stranger things so just keep that phrase in your just like what what happens when a magical girl shows up um (laughs) Let's get into the book because I feel like there's one or two other things from uh, Raoul's biography that are that are more specifically tied into like where this book is coming from. And yeah, and the, the, the last here. like the last not explicitly book related thing I wanted to say is um, she's written five novels, I guess, um, the latest of which is called Carry On, which came out uh, last year. Mm-hmm. And uh, why are you laughing? Because I mean, she's written five of them, I guess. Uh, she's got <laughs> just I don't know. She's she's written five books. <laughs> there you I go. I know I know this to be declarative true. statements. She has definitely written five novels. And De- Carry yes. On is kind of a book within a book. It's it's based on some sort of book series that was oh neat integral to their. I don't know if integral is the right word. I'm just like reading about this book, and so I don't know. But like it was involved in the plot of Fangirl. Oh, okay, cool. So it's its own thing, but it's also crucial to the fabric of the Rowlverse. <laughs> writing her own fan fiction in a way. Sure. Okay. So what is this book about, though? What's Eleanor and Park about? It's about Eleanor, who's a girl, okay. and Park, who's a boy. Cool. Any other in- Anything else we need to know about them, or are we good? Podcast no, you're good. closed. You're good. Uh, try to be happy. <laughs> Bye. It's okay. So Eleanor is a um they're they're both like 16 years old. They're both adolescents. And they're both on like Eleanor has just come back to school after like a longish absence. Okay. And so she gets on the bus her first day and nobody wants to let her sit down and she's kind of dressed weird and she's um she's over she's heavy set i don't know like what let's let's decide not overweight because that implies that there is like a weight that people should be at well what language does the book use i guess is an interesting just like large or fat sometimes it depends on whether we're in eleanor's head or not but okay. yeah fat fat is the word the book uses so i guess we can just go fat fatter i think fatter heavy is probably reasonable for the sure. discussion uh, there's mm-hmm. there's a, d- a couple good articles about this book that relate to this issue and th- there's a blog post on 
Rainbow Rowell's site that's just, is Eleanor fat or does Eleanor just think she's fat? Which is like mm-hmm. the title of the post. So that's just putting it in context. So go ahead. Sure. I mean, I think it's, I feel like it's pretty clear from the book that she is. Yes. I what this Or just like, like relatively speaking. The, the, the thrust of that blog post being the book from what I understand and what from Rowell says does not, never specifies like how heavy she is or like what the exact weight is. It's more about perception thereof. And that she is heavy, but yeah. Right. And as somebody who was, who was fat as a teen, I think that a lot of fat teens or larger teens, like especially at that point in your life, you just have this constant low level body dysmorphia thing going Mm on. Mm hmm. Where you're all and and you always think that people are paying way more attention to you than they actually are. Yeah, that and I think body image is where one of those issues where that that type of self perception is at its worst. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of people who see faults in themselves see them like way more magnified than anyone else does. Oh yeah, but that oh, is yeah. <laughs> that is one that is like magnified by culture and pop culture. So yeah. So she's she's on the bus and none of the kids will let her sit down. It's a very Forrest Gumpy kind of moment. And this like skinny little Asian kid says, sit down. He actually says the F word, but I'm not going to like this. <laughs> we're running, running clean, running okay. clean here. I don't want to get banned from a, like a Minnesota school for <laughs> working blue. So, okay. And this is set. Did we say that this is set in eighty six? Set in the in the in the mid eighties, yeah, eighty six. Okay. Right. And from there, they have this kind of slow burning romance that unfolds over the course of many weeks. So, like Park, and and the way this bus works is like there's just de facto assigned seating. So if you're sitting somewhere, that's your seat, and people Whoa. are not going to challenge you for it. Okay. Oh, okay. Yes, okay. Yeah. Um, I was going to be outraged by assigned bus seating, which is preposterous in high school. Come on. You. The only times I ran up against assigned bus seating is when people were just too badly behaved. Oh, you got to sit in the front of the bus. Let's go. Well, no, it's like you You guys are so unruly as a group that I'm going to decide, to decide where you all will sit based mm-hmm. on where I think you all collectively will cause the least the least amount of trouble. Man, shout out to bus drivers for dealing with our crap. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I just don't, I don't remember ever. I don't remember bad bus drivers, but I do remember bad kids on buses. I remember we, we Mrs. Sparks, we thought, was very severe. <laughs> okay. But in retrospect, like, she just had to drive a, she drove a bus, like... <laughs> I hate driving U-Hauls. If I had to drive a U-Haul full of kids, that would be the worst. If I'd you were be driving, so stressed out. If you were out. driving a U-Haul full of kids, at least all the kids would be like in that dark back <laughs> compartment, like separated from you. Yeah, and I've like like bolted some chairs to the wall. Yeah, like they're all strapped <laughs> down with bungee cords and stuff. It's a really like protracted process to load them in. Mm-hmm. I have drilled holes in the side. It's mm-hmm. I bought the U-Haul. It's not rented anymore. They wouldn't take it back. <laughs> not after the incident. Not after the unpleasantness. <laughs> so, how much of this book, like, they're just hanging out on the bus? Is that just the introductory scene, or do that's, they like that's the introductory scene, and they interact with each other in school? And I should, I'll, I'll say at this point that the book shifts in perspective between Eleanor and Park. So every time you're in Eleanor's head, there is a like a centered heading that says Eleanor, and every okay. time you're in Park's head, there's a center heading that says Park. Cool, cool. Normally, the length of these sections is more or less a chapter, but um, every once in a while, especially when stuff's getting intense. Um, Raul will do like a sentence and it'll just go Eleanor Park, Eleanor Park, like back and forth. And it's, it's, it's interesting structurally. I think it's, okay. it's kind of neat. Um, and it, it, and we've talked before about how authors make you read faster. Oh yeah. Sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. To like, to achieve like a cinematic sense of like motion and, and hecticness. Yeah. It kind of feeds back on itself from yeah. cinema. Certainly. So Park notices that Eleanor is super smart 
And then like and they sit on the bus and like don't talk to each other for for quite a few days. But eventually he notices that she is reading his comic books. Oh, OK. Because he like catches like she he just sees her eyes moving. And so in response, he like he doesn't say anything, but he does start turning the pages a little more slowly. Huh. All right. And this this turns into him giving her comic books. And actually, one of the comics that they are reading is Watchmen, like as it comes out. Oh, which is cool. Kind of cool. That's cool. Um, and that's I think that was like episode 60 something for that's us. A, we read yeah, Watchmen a, a while ago. Back. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's not a thing that we think of now. That is so long since canonized as a volume, as a like collected work. Yeah, that to to in to digest that like issue by issue would just be insane. It really, I would can't be. even imagine. Especially with a lot of the like how the whole book, like I guess a, a book now, was written sort of symmetrically. Oh yeah, with the oh, pen that layout one? and stuff. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, so there, are they talk? Do they get to a point where they start talking about? They them? get Is that to a, later a point thing? where they start talking because he's like actually giving her stuff and and that yeah, and then they get in like he starts letting her listen to his music because he's he's the like the high fidelity kid who knows what all the cool bands are. So he's like, oh, the Smiths and Joy Division and and whatever, like all the all the cutting edge bands of the nineteen eighties. So not Metallica, though. Not no, not Metallica. Okay. And they do make fun of Foreigner like a couple oh, times. Oh man, which I is feel too like bad. Foreigner wrapped around, and we found Foreigner cool. I don't know if Foreigner's actually cool. I though. don't know that they were cool <laughs> in the day. I mean, and my are... like, I, I don't know. When I started liking Foreigner, it was like that in that stupid, ironic, detached way that everybody liked things in the mid two thousands. But then I was like, you know what? <laughs> This is actually, urgent. I need to listen to Foreigner. Actually, like this Best of Foreigner <laughs> CD that I bought is pretty good. They are a staple of the state fair circuit. Oh, they I super understand. are. Yeah, it's yeah. like them and Cheap Trick and all those. <laughs> oh yeah, all those '80s bands. I think like maybe some Heart. You could probably go see Heart. Probably get Heart. I know that in the Ohio State Fair they had Cool in the Gang one year. Interesting choice. I, I assumed that they celebrated good times and that everybody came on. Shall we continue with the book? Yeah, let's do that. Okay. What else do you want to know? So they're listening to music. They're reading comic books. Are they relating to each other at school or is this book for this period of time like just them hanging out on the bus? For a long time there, like you get Eleanor and Park at home and like especially Eleanor and we'll talk about their family stuff in a little bit, I guess. Okay. But yeah. um but their time together is spent almost entirely on the bus for the first chunk of the book. Great. Okay. And they get to the point actually where they just like they want to spend all kinds of time together. Interesting. And eventually um Eleanor let's, so let's talk about Eleanor's home life a little bit. She has a mom and she has I believe five, four or five younger siblings. Cool. Um and the siblings are not like characters that you really need to worry about for the sake of a 55 minute book podcast. It sounds like their number is important though. It sounds yeah, like they're the just, fact they're that a there's bun- a, they're bunch a bunch of them. them. Yeah, there's yeah. a bunch of them. Okay. And um her mother lives or is married to this guy named Richie, who mm-hmm. is Eleanor's stepdad. And he is like the bad kind of abusive. Okay. And she and Eleanor's mom is the I guess the archi- archetypal abuse. Archetypical. Archetypical, is that the thing? I don't know. Whatever. Hold on. I didn't mean, I shouldn't have corrected you. I okay, apologize. No, that's, I don't know. Sometimes we misuse words. All right, live live fact check. Archi- I believe it is archetypal. Arca- Archipelago? Archetypal. Interesting. Not archetypical. I'm going to see if archetypical is a word. Hold on. I'm going to say archipelago again. Then I'm gonna say Archie Bunker. I mean, it's it's Archie in, Comics. It's in Wiktionary, I guess. Archangel. It's it's a synonym of archetypal. So I guess we can both be right. Language is a language is a complicated thing. Language, <laughs> language is a river that's always flowing. <laughs> language is a sexy, fluid river that mm-hmm. swings every which way. Whoa. 
Whoa. It's a 21st century concept mm-hmm. with 20 sur- 21st century values. What the? What is happening? <laughs> I'm vamping until you pick up this book again. What were we talking about? <laughs> we're talking about uh, Eleanor's home life. And right, 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 right. right. So her, her, her mom her mother, is the archetypal yeah. um, abused wife, basically, is like beat regularly yelled at regularly terrified of her husband but to i get like some combination of scared and resigned and yeah so do you know and just like doesn't and just doesn't even have the means to get away from him yeah if she she wanted to does it matter she wants to slash do you know does it matter slash do you know are all the kids from a previous marriage i think all but the youngest okay because so, there's all the all the others, and then little Richie, who yeah. I assume is is Richard's, Richard's kid. Yeah, and it's if this is similar to Raoul's hometown, like I imagine this is not a explicitly well-to-do like town. No, everybody everybody's pretty poor actually. Okay, and and Park is Park and Park's grandparents are unique in having just like a nice little house and like a loving little okay. family and no divorce and no whatever because Park's dad. Um, was in Korea mm-hmm. for the war, or I'm I'm not sure if it. I guess I don't know if the timeline actually makes sense. If it was the Korean War, or if um he was just like stationed there, like at one of our bases or something after. But he met Park's mom in Korea and married her, and then yeah, so and this then is... came came home with her. Um, that relates to Raoul because her dad. Her, so her parents split um, when she was young, I think in elementary school. But her dad did serve in South Korea in the 70s and carried around a photograph of a woman that he met there. And um, she always has wondered, like, did, you know, why didn't he bring her back with him? Why didn't, you know, it's like wondering about that love story. Um, and kind of also like, mourning what that love story might have done to her own to her parents relationship etc cetera, etc cetera. Mm-hmm. and there are a couple of other inspirations for park other people that she met in her life or heard of in in her town but that particular where you know how did park find his way to a small town in the midwest is kind of related to her dad so, mm-hmm. um but so back to eleanor's family I just feel like that that archetype is living a truth of lower income families with you know that deal with like a lot of mouths to feed and yeah and like certainly it's not exclusive to them but she is trapped by her just like she has all these kids and she has no money and like what mm-hmm. is she going to do like she doesn't have family nearby she's been cut off from all of her friends i'm sure that a lot of that happened like because there were past times when she like tried to get away and then went back and people just got frustrated with her and gave up on her like it's it's all it's it's a too familiar story i think yeah, really unfortunately um so how does this affect eleanor because i'm i mean eleanor she so she, when she's coming back from something as i mentioned at the beginning of the show she's richie kicked her out of the house oh okay for like a year huh and she went and she basically lived on the on the couch of some of her mom's friends i think they might be like distantly related but i think they're friends okay um who didn't call child protective services i'm sure because because eleanor's mom like convinced them not to somehow but Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so she's she's been brought back into this home and she used to serve kind of as protector to all these kids to some small degree because she's the oldest yeah yeah they spend all their time like just trying not to make richie upset yeah which is as as you might guess because he's drunk all the time pretty difficult yep um but she comes back into a a house where there's a little bit of Stockholm syndrome going on almost mm-hmm. where like, the, like Richie, I'm sure because he wants to convince himself he's a good person. Like every once in a while, he'll give him presents or something and, 
and they well, call that's him, the thing he can do yeah, yeah. And, they, and they call him dad and um and, and it's and is and she looking almost, around going like what the f yeah a little bit and the, and they're almost pit against each other yep that's how that works because eleanor like she's trying to get out but she's not only momentarily does she think about getting the other kids out with her yep and when she starts going over to park's house like and, and this is it's under pretenses she's telling her mom and richie that she's going to a, a friend's house when she's actually going to park's house and just like hanging out with his family almost every day and because this is a very small town like park's parents understand that richie is no good and that yeah it's probably it probably makes sense that eleanor's spending most of her time over here Mm. Um, but Eleanor's siblings see Eleanor getting out and their response is jealousy and even the thought that they might like tell on her once they find stuff out Mm. because why should she get to escape and they don't yeah ugh, it's rough is that a so you grew up in a smaller town than I did Mm-hmm. Is is that sense of like, I did not. I do not remember growing up with people having a like I gotta get out mentality. And I was lucky enough that the most of my friends did not have like a home life like this that they were trying. And I'm not trying to say that, but even just in small town, like get out of here mentality is that well, a and thing? I'm not, and, and I don't want to. I definitely don't want to equate my situation to the one in this book because the, no. mine was just like. Mine was more of a, is this all there is kind of thing. Sure, sure. And I don't, like, certainly not all the people who I went to high school with or who I was friends with, like, felt the same way as I did. And a lot of them even, like, still live there. Um, I'm not, I'm, but beyond Facebook, honestly, I'm really not in touch with anybody from high school anymore. Like, I I don't even think. Yeah, I've got, like, two people that I'll text about stuff, and that's about it. Yeah. Um. But yeah, like I did, like I did, just want to see more stuff and like right. do other stuff. But it wasn't about like escaping some terrible home life or something. No, 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 no. All right. Um, so how does their relationship start to evolve then, if if it does? She just she goes over to his house and they um, slowly start getting physical. Um, they don't. They never have sex. Okay. But they do like start feeling each other up a little bit toward the end of the toward the end of the book okay and it's all it's all described in in language that i think hits home pretty well like for teens who are kissing because like (laughs) because like it feel it feels great and you want to like you want more of that you want more of that teen smooching but you're also like not sure if you're doing it right and you're not sure who to ask or even like what resources to use? You can't ask anyone because that would imply that you do, you aren't the best smoocher. Yeah, you don't. It implies that you don't know, and of course you know. You've seen movies. Oh, I know you and, saw Honey I Shrunk the Kid. You know what French classes. And if you're walking around the school, you have to assume that everyone thinks they are the best smoocher so you better be the best smoocher too every like everyone thinks that everyone else knows everything and they don't that i mean that's just being a teen and a human yeah (laughs) but exacerbated and specific to smooching when you're smooching yeah and like touching your skin with someone else's skin and whatever you put it that way What? Oh, here's okay, Andrew. Let's interrupt this book again. Okay, cool, <laughs> fine. First kiss. My first kiss. Yeah. My first kiss. Is this first kiss for these characters in the book? Uh, no. Okay. Uh, for Eleanor, maybe. For Park, not quite. Okay. Not quite. I like that. Maybe he rubbed lips against. Well, it's someone. like it's like number two. I think. Okay. It's okay. implied that it is number two. Do you remember yours? Yeah, I do. Is it a good one? Um, okay, well, that, maybe first? that's all we need to know. Why don't maybe. you go first? <laughs> I didn't get my first smooch until uh, first my freshman year of high school. I was 15, so yeah, you beat me. Good job. Mm. Not by much, though, and it was like it was like a random... I, we hung out at this band event, 
And then I convinced my mom to drop me off at the fair later. And while I was waiting for her to pick me up at the end of that, we smooch goodbye. Like it was well, not it was a, like a chase little peck or like No, it was it wasn't a okay, it wasn't a smooch. It wasn't French class mm-hmm. yet. But I was pretty excited about that first smooch. Yeah. Cool. That's how that goes. Cool, cool, cool. Is your first smooch a bad smooch? It's not a bad smooch. It was just like I it, I was dating someone my parents did not approve of. And Uh-oh. like, <laughs> as in many things, you later find out that your parents are actually right about it. Oh, no. <laughs> um, but yeah, she was like 19 or 20 at the time. Interesting. She was a bit older than me. And I was like 15 going on 16. I think she was 19. I thought Andrew listen, was I don't... 15 going on 16. Uh, it's smooching <laughs> all the girls. Um, and we were like, she was one of my friend's friends. Uh-huh. And so my friend and I went to her like apartment mm-hmm. in Columbus, Ohio. Whoa. And then like she told me that she thought I was cute as I recall and decided that she wanted to show me what kissing was like. And like she then, said that to you? Like not in so many words. I'm paraphrasing. Okay. But so we so I was like embarrassed about it because I was I don't know, I had a really I would have been wicked embarrassed. Are you I, kidding? I just I don't know. I had a tough I had a tough time with all this. So we ended up like being uh, like hiding under a blanket and like smooching a little. Uh huh. And then we and then I left and then we went home. That sounds that sounds like maybe your parents were right, but like that's an interesting first smooch story. I think that's more interesting than mine. I mean, I, <laughs> mine was also yours with... was like a normal person smooch yeah, story. Like you're just w- hanging out with somebody and you smooch. You weren't like. At some 19-year-old's apartment that your parents didn't even know about. And then when they found out later, they definitely didn't approve. Yeah, but your like, first smooch is like some weird Beatles song that never got released. <laughs> Mine was like... Yeah, Nor- you know, Norwegian <laughs> Wood too. Mine was like uh, a first smooch that then led to like a two-year relationship that went really bad. Oh yeah, that's a whole different. That's a whole different. Girl. That like alienated me from a bunch of my friends. Yeah, and it was like yeah, really yeah. not a great scene. Man, we've known each other for a long time. Yeah, we really have. <laughs> Let's talk about these fictional high schoolers as opposed to our past high schoolers. Their whole again. thing is is a little cuter than ours. But I hope it's, so. It's happening again. So, so family and like. Your relationship with your family is a big is a big recurring theme in this book. So Eleanor's stuff is all wrapped up in her home life and how she wants to escape it and how she's like not only does she really like Park and want to spend all her time with Park, but Park also is a form of escape for her. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So she can get out of this crappy home life. Park's home life, I mean, like his mom and dad love each other. Like they make out in the kitchen like every day. Oh wow. And they don't and they don't care who's watching. <laughs> oh man. And Park, like, he thinks it's corny, but also everyone's, like, if he wakes up in the night, he can comfort himself with the knowledge that, you know, all my friends, like, everybody I know, their parents are divorced, but my parents love each other. And, like, I can count on that being there. Interesting. And okay. his mom his mom is an Avon lady, and his dad is a veteran who has a, I forget what his job is. It's not super important, I don't think. Okay. But um, Park takes after his mom. Uh, his mom, like I said, is Korean, so so Park is shorter and slighter, and um, and he actually he actually is is talking about in the book with Eleanor, like white dudes think Asian women are exotic, but everyone just thinks Asian dudes are like feminine, huh? And so he's internalized some of that, and he thinks that his dad is like he knows his dad loves him, but he says it's like in a sort of perfunctory obligatory way like a you don't upset me i take care of you well like you're my kid and i love you unconditionally but like that your younger brother who takes after me 
and is like taller and more masculine and does more masculine oh, things. Like okay. I am, I am cooler with that. So like Park is Park reads comics and listens to music and is short, and eventually like starts putting eye makeup on and like spiking his hair up because it's 1986. What? What up? <laughs> and and Park's dad like generally seems pretty cool, especially vis a vis Eleanor. Mm-hmm. But gets hung up on like Park wanting to wear makeup okay. or like insisting that Park drive a stick instead of an automatic because it's just like, okay, it's just like a more masculine, like you're a man and you should do like these more manly things. I, okay. I just never have, exp- uh. he's not, I don't think he's a jerk. He's just like, no, I'm more you know, hung this up is, on automatic versus no, manual. No, no, yeah, yeah, no, it's, he's. <laughs> He this is just thirty years ago and he's like an army veteran and I'm sure that he has ideas about what's masculine and what isn't and Yeah. Well and um, I think that portrait of a good person but with challenges to be a being, good or like you even know, a yeah, a good person in different times. Yes. And and of different circumstances. Because what it means to be like a sensitive, reasonable person does shift based on yeah the society around you so yeah but be it from like what you can and cannot stand your children doing just down to the words you use yeah that's kind of it's how that crap changes i guess so um so their relationship is unfolding for a while they get a little bit physical and then uh eleanor's stepdad finds out mm. that she's been seeing this guy and it turns out through the entire book that he's been writing these nasty sexually explicit little notes on the like you know when you had textbooks in school and you would like cover them in like brown paper bag he would write like lewd stuff Hmm. on that and like all lowercase like misspelled and she doesn't she suspects there's probably a kid at school who might be doing it because she's not very popular at school just because she you know she is known to come from a complicated family and she dresses weird and she's fat and yeah, from what I was reading about the book, she's teased primarily for her weight and like for her family's class, like as evidenced by her clothes. Yeah, like what yeah, yeah. what she has available to her and stuff mm-hmm. like that. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um. So she thinks it's somebody else doing this to her books, but it's not. It's her stepdad. It's, it's her dad, and so she comes home from this date with Park, actually, where they get as pretty much as close to sex as they get in the book. Okay. Yeah, and um. And he is like she has this little this little box where she keeps all the comics and like the makeup and stuff that she gets from Park and Park's mom. And all the stuff is like strewn all over the room. And Richie is yelling and she just she knows she needs to leave again. Yeah. So she goes to Park's and Park says, is there anywhere you can go? And she says, you know, I I have an uncle up in St. Paul, Minnesota. And Park says, I'm going to drive you up there. And so he waits for his parents to go to bed, but his dad catches him on his way out. And his dad's actually pretty cool with it because he knows, like, he knows Richie. He knows what Richie Steele is. Yeah, man. And he, I... and he says, like, take Eleanor up to up to her relatives, and if they don't, if they don't want to take her, like, bring her back, and we will figure something out. God. I hope I could be that cool in the moment. He was he was cool, but then he was like, and I'll let you go on one condition oh, that, no. you, that you need to drive the stick. And Park like gets in the car and no. just like and just goes and he's like, Yeah, of course I know how to drive a stick. <laughs> Which is my attitude. Like, why would you drive a stick if you <laughs> when, uh, there, when an automatic is an option? Why would you why would even... you light why would you light a torch when you have a light bulb? Oh my god. My guys? It's <laughs> like... it's not like it. It's not like vinyl where it sounds better. No, yeah, the st- a stick has a warmer sound. <laughs> I think there's like I okay, people who drive stick because they choose to, please write in and let us know like why. Is it because you like feeling intimate with your car? Which is I wouldn't even say feeling intimate, it's like a it's a control thing. And I think I, I you actually see this a lot with um with computer like linux gray beards uh who are still who are still like we at 
ours. So this is this is going to be pretty like obtuse for our like book podcast. But that's fine. Basically, when you're using a computer, like you, maybe you know that it has memory in it, but you don't need to worry about it because the software that is running on that computer manages all your memory for you. Correct. Because it knows it generally knows best. But I also know that there are multiple types of memory on my computer, but that's where my knowledge stops. It's a whole different. (laughs) It's a different thing. But there is one guy in our comments this one time who was like, "Yeah, I just I turn all that stuff off. I like I prefer to manage my memory manually." And it's like, dog, what do you think you're doing? Uh, that's why don't maybe the computer knows better how to use its memory. But yeah, it's it's a and especially if you grew up before the technology that made things easier. Yeah, long. You think there's something purer about doing it the hard way, I guess. Well, and and I I will say that for some technologies, and I don't in cars maybe, um, there is a skill. There's like Zen and the Zen and the art of motorcycle maintenance, like skill thing that you that by mastering that. that sure. Is yeah, like, you you can argue that there is an art to things that gets lost with automation. I yeah. Think. And, and that that is across a variety of fields, you know, like in writing, it can be about typewriters in cars. It could be about stick shifts, you know. Well, and you, and you can even you can even say, you know, ebooks versus paper books. Why like don't paper, people a call lot. each other anymore? It's just texting. I actually am totally fine. Get with off that. my lawn. I will go so far to avoid talking to another human being on the phone. You have no idea. Get off my e-lawn. Get off it, my digital grass. Okay, I'm off your digital grass. Um, so there was one other thing with this book and Raoul that, um, that I mean that's that's basically the end of the end of the book. And there's, I do want to talk the... about the ending ending briefly. Okay, I heard so we can talk. I, I we can talk about that, and I think we also want to talk about the um, censorship stuff that happened. Yeah, with this certainly. Book, like back when it was released. So yeah. do you want to take a break for that and then come back to the end and then be done? Yeah, let's do that. Okay. Um, I'll Here's the short version. I'll tell you. Um, Raul had been <laughs> invited to speak at a – it was like a two-day seminar at a school in Minnesota that had been put together by um, some librarians. I may be getting like the particulars of that wrong, but – so she'd been invited to speak because these librarians really loved Eleanor and Park, and then – um, some parents objected to language in the book and its sexual content and got Raoul basically disinvited. Mm-hmm. That is correct. This is the Anoka County Library for the Anoka Hennepin School District in Minnesota. Yeah. And so I have I have quotes from Raoul. I have quotes from a letter to the editor that somebody wrote. Okay. About the book Hit that me. I can read. But do you have yeah. other stuff that you want to talk about first? No, just that it it's. I wonder a lot of times when you think about um, banned books and censorship of that stuff, we often circle back to like the canonized works that are banned rather than contemporary works. So I'm kind of interested to hear like how this situation shook out. Um, But it's also to me something I've been thinking about this whole podcast is just that like I don't remember as a teen reading a lot of books about teens. I was actually, that was a question I was going to ask for you because I read this book. Um, I may have mentioned it on the show before. It's called the face on the milk carton. And it's about this girl who this like te- this 15 year old girl who sees a picture of her younger self on a milk carton listed as missing. Huh? And basically this whole mystery unravels where it turns out that somebody kidnapped her from her actual parents. Oh, weird. And she didn't even like know about it. But there's also stuff with like her and her boyfriend. And it's one of the like first books I remember reading where I was old enough to have like sex feelings. Oh, where I was like, oh, this is this is interesting. I would like to read more of this, please. <laughs> but I bring it I bring it up because this this was it was written by uh, Carolyn Cooney in 1990. And it also has similarly been like challenged over its content. And I think there are a lot of teen books about like actually being a teen. So like the awkward sweaty kisses that you 
yeah steal in your car while your parents aren't looking like a lot of that stuff gets gets challenged and i wish it wouldn't because like those you need to learn something from somewhere you know yeah well yeah but i guess that comes from people being like well you need to learn math and history and not sex right now you dumb teens and so and i don't i don't agree with that statement but i i feel like that's where some of that comes from I, yeah, I don't know. I don't remember having like a teen sexy time book that I read. If that's Sorry. what we're that's what we're talking about, teen sexy time books. Maybe that's why you were more willing to race away to an apartment, and I was like, "Let's hang out at band. <laughs> Let's go to the fair. <laughs> I want to get elephant ears." But what are the what what are the responses to this dumb censorship? There's situation? a there's a letter to the editor from this guy named Kirk Burback. Um, I forget the newspaper it was sent to, but I've got I've got some quotes um, in just the first three pages. The book contains eight F words and three S words, plus two additional Falker words. The entire book contains over 220 of the most profane words you can imagine. And then there is the age inappropriate and highly controversial subject matter throughout. The book's content is such that if it were attempted to be read over the air, the FCC wouldn't allow it. In 1975, the FCC levied a fine for the airing of George Carlin's seven words you can't say on television. Of course. This book contains five of those seven words repeatedly. Oh, my God. And this semi-porno book would get an R rating by the Motion Picture Association of America for its profanity alone. Yet somehow, this book was made available to our impressionable 14 to 17-year-olds. I just threw my phone across the room at the phrase semi-porno book. Semi-porno. Ugh. What do you have, do you have the other response? Is there like the other side? Um, I have just just some stuff from Raoul. Um, she says the parents action, and this was in an interview with Mallory Ortberg at the Toast. Rest okay, in peace, rip in peace. The Parents Action League, the people who objected to Eleanor and Park, was actually formed in response to a district policy about discussing sexual orientation in the schools. Uh, normally, the book takes on normally the group takes on books with homosexual content, which Eleanor and Park doesn't really have, though my other books do. Um, one of the most horrific parts of their challenge was that they asked that the librarians who chose my book be officially disciplined. Hmm. Which I don't think ended up coming to pass. No. Except that the librarians couldn't comment on her being like disinvited from speaking. No, I I do think that they that the principal had some sort of like committee convened, and they determined that it was like appropriate for high schoolers and a good book. But I don't, you know, obviously that this engagement did not happen. Yeah, right. Um, and that it was ironic that it occurred during Band Books Week. So, yeah, uh, just just one of those challenged books because it is for young adults and it actually has stuff that happens to young adults in it. I don't I mean, I don't get it. I do. I do guess. And again, if you want if bring it back to control, like I get maybe wanting to expose your kids to that in your own time. Yeah. But I think by the time you're 14 to 17, if you haven't had that talk yet, like the ship done sailed, they're going to figure it out from somewhere else, which is what I did. Yeah. I, I don't Yeah. Once you hit like seventh or eighth grade, like kids are figuring it out anyway. Oh yeah. And and my per, I know that like we have a, we have a listenership that spans uh, states and continents and who knows what people believe but my personal belief is that like if you get too stringent on that kind of stuff and aren't willing to have a conversation about it and are just kind of dogmatic about it you risk le- like creating situations where people make bad choices and because they uh, they a don't feel like they have someone to turn to mm-hmm. or b they kind of get mixed up in how they make those decisions they just don't have the information they need to make smart decisions because they don't have any information at all so they don't even know how stupid the thing they're doing is Uh, yeah Uh, and they like they start down a path and then they're like they're rebelling and then that's a weird thing and And that and like that's why my graduating class of 71 people not 71 girls 71 people had like a full dozen people who were either pregnant at the time or had kids already yeah. Okay. And that's just like for for my money, 
I reckon most that of those is were the not kind of, planned. That's the kind of situation where, yeah, yeah, like unplanned pregnancies happen, and then and I don't know, I'm yeah. Then you get and then you get it's into rough. how do you like provide for those mothers and their children, and what kind of healthcare issues you have, and it's just like if that if those are the things you're concerned about, like walk it back and let's just talk about the conversations that you could have had or the mm-hmm. books you could have let your kids read mm-hmm. to start those conversations. Andrew, tell me a little bit. In just a few minutes, and if folks are going to go read this book, maybe they don't need to hear these few minutes, but what's up with the end of the book? I hear it's cool. What do you, do you, can you be more specific? I hear there's like a big question mark at the end of the book. I think I know, I mean, I have my own theory about what the question, what the, what the question is. So Park tells Eleanor that he loves her. Okay. And the furthest, like that. Okay, let, let me back up a bit. So Park drives Eleanor up to her uncle's. They take her in. It's fine. Um, but Eleanor decides, like, just to make it easier on her or on them, like, she's just going to, instead of, like, letting them do some long-distance thing that fades, she's going to let them, like, go out at the height of their passion for each other. And so he's, like, writing her letters and calling her and whatever, and she's just not responding and not responding for, like, six months, a year um, and then at the end of the, and then you're still jumping back and forth between Parks and Eleanor's perspective. So you just get like a listless Park and a listless Eleanor. Park who's sending all these things and not getting responses. Eleanor who's getting all these things and not even opening them because she doesn't want it to be like harder than it is. Mm-hmm. And the book ends with Eleanor sending Park a postcard and it has three words on it. And... Okay. If you take into account the fact that Eleanor never actually said, I love you back to park, mm-hmm. like the closest they ever get is like, she says, I know. And then they make a bunch of Han Solo jokes. Okay. Han Solo. Cause it's 1986. Okay. But, uh, <laughs> I'm, I am pretty sure that the three words are, I love you. Okay. All right. I don't know if there are alternate theories. Like, I don't know what the three words would be. Like pizza is good. <laughs> Check this out. And then it's like a picture of something. Hi, I'm fine. <laughs> Joy Division rules. <laughs> yeah, I just, the, that apparently has come up a lot in like people writing to uh, Raoul about the book. Maybe and... it's Eleanor and Park. Maybe it's just getting meta about it. Oh, that could, but that would be like really cute though. Yeah, a little if bit. Those are the three words. Mm hmm. Uh, and I think that's, I feel like there's a similar, isn't there like one, doesn't this happen in a John Green book where like we don't, don't know, isn't that like how, it's not how Looking for Alaska ended where you like don't quite know something at the end, right? No, 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 no. Well, I mean, I, I, you might, you don't know what was going through Alaska's head when she died in a car crash, but. Yeah, okay. I, I feel spoiler like. Spoiler alert. <laughs> Go back and listen to that episode. I feel like that. I assume is... everyone listening to this has listened to every single one of our back episodes. Andrew, we have to assume that, otherwise the show doesn't work. <laughs> um, I I feel like that little note of ambiguity is is a thing I see more and more in uh, some of the books that we talk about that are aimed at this age group, where it's like here's a thing that is pretty concrete and has a story that you can hook onto and it you can identify with it and then I'm just going to like leave you with this mad lib at the end emotionally or literally in this book's case and like the exercise of the reader filling that in is like a, a crucial part of the experience. Yeah, or, like, I get it. And and I, some books and I think I think John Green books might do this. Some books come with like built-in little discussion questions at the end. Oh yeah, to like spur that to to like explicitly spur the kind of conversation that would arise from an ambiguous ending like that. Yeah, cool. So yeah, that's the book. Like I liked it a lot. We didn't get a chance to talk about um, Raoul's prose, but I did. I did have just like one line I wanted to hit me read real quick, just because because she's just she's good at writing. This is a well written story. (laughs) Um, this is from Eleanor's perspective. His eyes were so green they could turn carbon dioxide into oxygen. 
Aww. Which like not only is that like a cool sentiment, but it also really speaks to the life science class that a sophomore in high school would just have taken. Well, and reveals <laughs> and reveals her character as someone who would have latched onto that as a possible metaphor. That's solid. Yeah. All right, good yeah. work. Be good. Um, we are talking earlier about some of the writing around this book. I did want to mention there's a great BuzzFeed article about the body image issues in this book that Raoul links to from her site. Uh, it's on BuzzFeed. It's called How Finding a Fat YA uh, Heroine Changed My Life. Um, it's by K Toai, I think is how you pronounce that. Mm-hmm. So I'll try and link that out on social media later this week because Raoul herself like sings the praises of that article and and that article sings the praises of her book and it's it's worth yeah reading. yeah and and, it's, and that like eleanor's understanding of herself as someone who is not conventionally pretty mm. um, as someone who's fat and like especially next to her mom who is like supermodel movie star gorgeous it's pointed out in the book a couple times like her relationship with that and then park's relationship with his half koreanness and his like build mm is an important part of their characters in a way that I think rings really true for high schoolers. So Yeah, yeah. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Go read that. Cool. Well, I'm glad that we did this book. Yeah. Talk think... about smooching and teens. Mm, smooching and... teens. <laughs> we are the number one podcast for teens. We love teens. Teens, we love you. Uh go smooch up a storm. <laughs> Oh, uh, if you want to tell us about smooching or about the 80s, I, I guess. I want everybody to tell us all their first kiss stories. Oh, if you want to tweet storm your first kiss at us, you can do it at twitter.com slash overdue pod uh, or send us a longer note on facebook.com slash overdue pod or write an email at overduepod at gmail.com. I have a pretty long list of folks who have reached out to us on social media this week. So I'm going to go make a sandwich. All right. See you later, Andrew. I want to thank Amber and Melody and Laura and Anna and Christina and Melissa and Tara and uh, Azura and Ellen and Albi and Julianne. I'm, I'm going to stop saying and. Tori, Amanda, Russell, uh, Michael, Seeking Tumness, Sean, Nora, Kara, uh, Lena, who's doing her thesis defense this week, good luck. Shannon, who's training for a half marathon, have fun. Michael, Beth, Sophie, Margaret, Josh, Camille, Christina, our friends at the Unfriendly Black Hotties. Rachel, Spell, Mr. J, and Josh, and Liz, Lucas, Taylor, and Catherine. Andrew, some folks also shared with us some bromance language puns. Oh, God. Why um, were they? That they probably speak bromance languages in Brazil. Or Bromuda. <laughs> uh, those were from Josh and Mr. J, respectively. And Melissa noted that uh, we missed Romanian. <laughs> pretty solid. Uh, Andrew, if folks want to learn more about the show, where should they go? Uh, they should go to OverduePodcast.com, where we have links to iTunes and Google Play and Stitcher and RSS. Those are all ways you can subscribe to the show. If you subscribe in iTunes, do rate and review us because that helps us rise up them charts and it helps other people find the show. Um, we keep getting those at a pretty steady clip. So thanks everyone who sends those in and even, even the negative ones, which we don't get often, but we do get every once in a while. I like when it is constructive. I really like hearing criticism of the show. So um, it's helped the show March, like a bunch, not marginally, like yeah. actually a bunch. Yeah. The opposite of marginally, whatever. I um, so, <laughs> um, we also have on that page links to uh headgum, our podcast network speaker, our podcast host, our Patreon page, which you can uh, donate to us and get bonus episodes a little bit early. And you can get a book that you want us to read, like bump to the top of the list. We may be going off list for just a little bit as we prep for our live show. Yep. Which Craig is going to tell you more about right now. August 20th, 6 p.m., Philadelphia at the Tattooed Mom Bar on South Street. You can see us talk about Watership Down. Uh, the classic children's story about bunny rabbits. Yep. Uh, fluffy little bunnies. Fluffy Nothing bad happens to them. Bunnies. Everybody bring your carrots and buckle in. Um, we're going to be part of the fourth annual Philly Pod Fest, which we are excited to be a part of. Uh, and two hours earlier, you can catch Andrew's other show, Appointment Television, doing a live show 
Um, I don't think that there's like a TV adaptation of Watership Down, so we can't do that type of like brand synergy. No, which is too bad. But but you can come hang out with us at both shows, and it's early enough in the day that we can like hang out for a while afterwards and like meet you guys. Yeah, and, and we and we do close the show on on that Saturday, so afterward we will be totally down to party. Down to party, and Patrick Mom's a great party. party. You should you should come hang out d2p uh more information about that is on our facebook page we've got a pinned event you could also go to phillypodfest.com for more information Mm -hmm. and uh speaking of appointment television our uh bonus episode for technically for july is going to post to the main feed this week i think probably on thursday um that was me and the appointment television crew so margaret h willison and Catherine van arendonk um Catherine read uh, the phantom toll booth and we had a really good time talking about it so um look cool. forward to that craig do you know what you're going to be reading for next week no i've been making progress on watership down so again we're probably going to go off patron list and i will there i know there were questions people were like what are we going to read this week and i'm it's this it's eleanor and park <laughs> uh so i will try to get the word out a little bit sooner um for that for what I do next week. All right, everybody. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, sorry that our uh, post-show wrap-up is getting a little lengthy, but we got a lot of stuff going on. Um, we will see you next Monday. And until then, try to be happy. I, I wanted to talk about the Have 80s. Have we introduced the podcast yet? I did. I said it's overdue. We do the books and the things. And then I said that we were going to talk about Ellen, Eleanor and Park by Rainbow Rowell. I, think, I Rowell? think you you just... Rowell rhymes with Al, but I think you just said we were going to talk about Eleanor and Park. No, I said the name of the show. Did you? Yeah, I did it real fast. I don't remember saying my name. Oh, you said your name. Did and I? then some. <laughs> what? Uh, I wanted to talk about the 80s because it's like a hot If I go thing. to edit this and you're wrong, I'm going to... Oh, I can't wait. I'm going to call you and say, <laughs> we need to do it again. <laughs> I uh, have deleted the audio. And I have stuck a magnet on that hard drive and it's gone now. <laughs> oh, that would be great. I would, I would deserve that. Um, that was a HeadGum Podcast. <laughs>